quite a few of our friends, even though they said, yeah, sure, we'll listen to the podcast. Clearly they haven't. <laughs> so, yes, this is how you see who your true friends are. I'm looking at you, Vlad. <laughs> I know I'm not ladylike enough, but they can suck my dick. No, put these images into my head. Well, you put Jeffrey's meat in my head, so... I... Eliza is a vegetarian, by the way. Or vegan? Vegetarian. Vegetarian. So everybody can hate me. Is it like the bisexual of... Yeah, it is the bisexuality of, of diets. And welcome to Totally Unrelated. Autumn is here and I hate it. What about you? Thanks. I hate it too. <laughs> no, it's, it's terrible. It's terrible. We had barely any good weather and then it just suddenly went away and it was cold and shitty and now it's sort of okay again, but then it's going to be cold and shitty again and then I can almost see that December is going to come around and we're going to have like freaking bathing suit weather or whatever i don't know it's just <laughs> for like two weeks and then it's going to be miserable until next april or may yeah or yeah. even june sometimes yeah. yeah exactly because i mean climate change doesn't exist right so yeah. just... and also be believe it or not we're not uh living in you know some uh far outpost of Sc scandinavia it's uh, uh southeastern europe so <laughs> yeah in theory we should have proper winter winters, proper summers, just all of the seasons. Normally we should have them and in the right order and all that, but apparently, <laughs> you know, the big boss upstairs decided that let's mix things up. And he's a really shitty DJ when it comes to weather. Mm -hmm. I, I have to say that. Like, I, I, I did not order any of this specifically. So I'm, I'm, I'm highly, I'm, I'm, I would like to, you know, submit a complaint. But yeah. uh, apparently the big guy upstairs does not have a complaint department. We had literary Karen yesterday. Well, not yesterday, the last episode, Irina. Now you can be the meteorological Karen. I mean, I'm always a meteorological Karen. I just... <laughs> I love... I'm obsessed with weather and weather patterns and freaky weather and shit. But like, I like that on screen. Okay, I don't like it in my life. Not like it so was. So you're not a storm chaser or something. I mean, technically. Storm hunter, whatever they're called. <laughs> technically, I would be down with that too. But like, I w would like to be able to choose it. You know, just go somewhere for the freaky weather, <laughs> not have the freaky weather come at me. Right? Yeah. I mean, I th this this did not spark joy. It's just don't come at me, bro. Yeah. I mean, I, you know about this, uh, and all five of your listeners are going to know about this too now, but yeah. the freaky storms we had this summer that were absolutely insane. I mean, you know, I almost ended up with a 40-year-old fir tree in my apartment because... And I basically got deluged with uh, rainwater mixed with pigeon poop, so... Honestly, I feel like that was mostly pigeon poop, though. Just a little yeah, bit yeah, of water. Yeah, it was definitely mostly pigeon poop. <laughs> it's, it's, it was like, you know those MREs, you know, the military rations? Oh, yeah. It was that, but in pigeon poop <laughs> format. So I don't know what eats pigeon poop, but that particular whatever eats pigeon poop would have been really happy with that. Maybe you should reach out to the bug army to sell the pigeon poop as military bug rations. I don't know. It was not good. I wasn't vibing. You weren't vibing with the pigeon poop. No, surprising. No, surprising. No, no. No. I mean, I, the only the only really big concern I had was not to catch something medieval and, you know, die a horrible painful death. Uh but other than that, it was just, you know, a minor inconvenience having to clean that up and then disinfect everything for like 2 weeks. <laughs> yeah, but I mean at at the same time, we are millennials, so we are going to die a horrible horrible death anyway, the way things are going and I mean, I guess I I guess, you know, maybe in 10 or 15, uh, 15 years they're going to change our generation's name to like dystopians or whatever. I don't know. Okay, so, you know, for, as you said, all of our five listeners who are basically mostly our friends anyway, uh, in case you didn't recognize her from the previous episodes, shame on you. We know yes, her. Yes, shame forever. <laughs> She's the only person that is within the legal limits of sassiness afforded to a white girl, Eliza. Eliza. <laughs> <laughs>
That was such a lackluster woo. I, I promise I will, by the way. Woo! Do you, do you feel like we uh, need to w uh, warm up a bit more? Do you think we can have a crack at this episode? Yes, we can have a crack at this episode. And then after that, maybe we can have just some plain and simple crack. Maybe that's going to make things better. I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, at this point... Hashtag opioid crisis. Yeah, and... Um... I must apologize beforehand because uh, this will be a particularly meaty subject that we'll be sinking our teeth into and, you know, all the puns are intended. I know, I know. I felt personally attacked when I saw uh, the script for the first time. <laughs> I was like, you did this on purpose. You're like, let's make Eliza feel disgusted. Ew. I mean, whose meat is it, though? That's the question. What kind of meat are we talking about? It's it's the people's meat. The people's meat. I mean, I'm I'm down I'm down with the people's meat. You know, I'm all about sharing the people's meat. So I just the proletariat chops. Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah. I I coponelle. Elisa is a vegetarian, by the way, or vegan? Vegetarian. Vegetarian. Yeah. So everybody can hate me. Yeah. So so the meat meat people can hate me, and the vegans can also hate me. It's glorious. It's a great position to be in. Is it like the bisexual? Of yeah, it is the bisexuality of of diets because both parties uh, hate you. It's just I just have to mention it, and then, then everybody's like, "But you're by vitamin Bs," and like why and like weirdness and shit, and it's like, "But I pay for my own food, so how the fuck does this?" impact your life how about you don't give yeah. your opinions about what i choose to put into my mouth <laughs> and then i won't give my opinions on what trash you choose to put in your mouth and i'm not talking about or s i mean yes exactly so yeah let's uh, let's get all meaty and juicy and filet-y and succulent and i don't know whatever other meat descriptors there are i it's been a while i don't know anymore um okay so i'll uh i'll be the first to admit that we're not exactly original in terms of what we do on this show <gasps> uh, because shock yeah i mean shock. shocker <laughs> uh, we basically pick certain topics uh from the past and compare them to stuff going on around us today it's uh what uh, every desperate history enthusiast does to uh, counter the age-old uh, why should i take the time to learn things about that people sort of question so if uh, we've had enough of the self-deprecating humor Never. I... <laughs> but we can move on yeah we can move on to the inciting event for this episode which was uh, Amazon boo boo Amazon the, the Molotov cocktail of late stage capitalism humanity's blue screen of death I say again a boo a boo away boo boo no, no, because then we're going to end up with boobies again. I mean... And boobies are great, but Amazon sucks. Yeah, um, <laughs> got distracted there a bit. Um, By boobs? I mean, <laughs> who doesn't? Yeah. Who doesn't? So at the time I started doing research for this episode, Amazon was in the news because of its acting like a very, 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 very bad boy, doing some uh, union busting, bottle pissing, and bag shitting. And... Uh, you might ask yourself, uh, how long has this been going on and why are we only getting angry about it now? No, 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 no. We've been angry about this since forever. Like this, we're, we've been angry about this before. We didn't just suddenly wake up two weeks ago and, oh, we're angry at Amazon. No, we are angry. But, but, but we are just like the two of us. <laughs> and... I mean, I know other people who are angry about Amazon, but not enough people are angry. Yes. People get angry about Amazon. Yes. They're shit. Everything is horrible. And we're going to get into exactly why it's horrible and how it started. Yeah. I mean, and by we, I mean Diana, and because she's the one who does the research, <laughs> and I'm just here to be white and sassy. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, after all, um, we have uh, uh, like almost three decades of Amazon being nasty that we can wade through uh, because they haven't started acting up uh, yesterday. In fact, uh, what I'd like to talk about is the fact that Amazon's strategy of ingratiating itself with the public, uh, both by being the company through which many people get their stuff, uh, but also through its mantra of keeping customers happy, uh, most often at the expense of its own employees or associate, associates, is not entirely new. It has been done before and unfortunately it works. 
I mean, let's start with the whole term of associates. This is one of the words that I hate most in life. I think I might hate associates in this sense that Amazon and big retail companies use it. I think I might even hate it more than just words like moist oh. or men's rights <laughs> or, you know, things things like that. Uh, but it's it's... It's just one of those bullshit, you know, terms. Or oh, we're gonna call you an associate, so you know we don't call you a slave, but that's what you technically are. But isn't it isn't it uh, on par at least with independent contractor? No. Or like no, I mean, entrepreneur, I mean, I, private entrepreneurs. I. It's not. It's not because I, 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 I'm not, I'm, I'm going to be the first one to admit that I'm not really familiar with the particularities of like um, American labor contracts and how that insane shit is set up because there's some crazy shit there. But there's plenty of companies like, I don't know, Gap, H&M, whatever, basic clothing retailers who will call their, their employee, employees associates just because it sounds better. But that's just shit. Mm-hmm. It's, they still get those shitty minimum wages like basic employees do. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's even the word associate, I find, is just so violently, you know, late stage capitalism. And, and it's so on par with the whole, oh, let's be a disruptor. Let's disrupt things. Well, disrupt your own freaking stupid ideals. Why don't you with your Ugh. I'm angry already. I'm just already angry and we barely started. I'm, I think I'm going to be... Pace yourself. Pace yourself. Uh, but there's so much anger inside of me. <laughs> so plenty to go. Plenty plenty more to go. It's, uh, I think if the US finds out about my massive amounts of anger that I have bottled up, they're just going to you know, run me over. I mean... <laughs> or maybe channel you as a weapon. I, for sure. They're, they just, you know, black ops me out of this bitch and then suddenly no more lies on the podcast. And, and I'm sure plenty of people will be happy about it outside of the five friends that listen to us, <laughs> which sounds super sad, by the way, because it sounds like we only have five friends between us. Yeah, but also it's it, it's even more annoying because quite a few of our friends, even though they said, yeah, sure, I will listen to the podcast. Clearly they haven't. <laughs> so, yes. This is how you see who your true friends are. Uh, and this was uh, our moment. I'm looking at you, Vlad. <laughs> this was our moment of emotional blackmail. Let, let's get back on track. So the, the, the sort of narrative I'm trying to build here is that... I'm not letting you. <laughs> is that this uh, tactic of, uh, you know, ingratiating yourself with the public while... Uh, fucking over your associates and uh, employees is not something that sort of evolved organically or accidentally. Uh, but I'm uh, so shocked. Yeah, so yeah. Shocked. It, it seems quite deliberate. And looking back, it actually seems uh, like it was, uh, it was well thought out. Um, and um, to sort of prop up this argument, I've included a couple of early interviews with uh, Bezos where this idea of customer satisfaction, customer obsession, and being on the customer's side are repeated in such a blatant way that it's frankly nauseating. Everybody said, look, you're just computer guys. You don't know anything about selling books. And that was true. But we, but we really cared about customers. It doesn't matter to me whether we're a pure internet player. What matters to me is do we provide the best customer service. If there's one thing Amazon.com is about, it's obsessive attention to the customer experience. There's only one side, which is obsess over customers. We take this very seriously. We take the commitment to the customer very seriously. In the long term, there is never any misalignment between customer interests and shareholder interests. Two things. Okay, first of all, I need to grab my vomit bag and just throw up a little bit because, ugh, customer obsession and being on the customer side. Bullshit! Let us not forget that Amazon lost the package, lost one of my packages, and they only refunded me a year and a half later when the package somehow miraculously made it back to them because apparently Jeffrey needed the money for his divorce. All of those $19 that I paid for the book that I could only find on Amazon, which is one of the other annoying things that even if you want to cut Amazon out of your life, you cannot avoid it. Mm -hmm. Like living the kind of life we are living, just very basic millennial, because we're not like extra millennial, just super basic millennial shit. You cannot avoid Amazon. Like 
you cannot and it's 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 terrible it's and that's ugh. now i wanted to i want to go into like the whole idea of monopolies and why we need to break them up again but i feel like that's gonna be a subject for another story uh now diligent listeners of the show might remember all five of them yes all five of them Vlad, uh, <laughs> that we discussed ways in which right-wing radicals of your would uh, split up the working class and pit one group against another. And this is something I'd like us to focus on uh, for this episode. Uh, and there's no better way to kick this off than with a late 19th century and early 20th century example about the meat industry in the United States and the UK. I don't know. I wanted to do some kind of like, you know... Happy vegetarian noises. No, that sounds completely different. It sounds like farts, mostly. <laughs> Because a vegetarian household is a windy household. Everybody's getting a lot of oversharing, but hey, all five of you can handle it. Yeah, uh, but but, but to, be, to be frank now, I don't think that uh, a meat-only house is any less odorous. Can you imagine what's going on, on in the Peterson household? I mean, yes, obviously, but that's a, the whole another level of insanity. Yeah. Plus, I'm pretty sure that the Peterson ha- household is very much influenced by a little thing called cocaine. <laughs> you cannot convince me that that household isn't just filled up to the rafters with cocaine. Like, that, that dude, no, no. No, I would no. imagine that the way he has cocaine is through, like, I don't know, eye drops or something, like some lame way of having them. Uh, probably. Or, I don't know, maybe as suppositories, rectally. Yeah. So, uh, getting back to, to our sources for this episode, we're going to be using, to mainly use, three books. Uh, one is called Red Meat Republic by Joshua Specht, uh, focusing on the meat industry in the US. And then uh, Lizzie Collingham's The Hungry Empire, which has a chapter on meat production, trade and consumption across the British Empire. And finally, Neil Irvin Painter, standing at Armageddon, grassroots history of the progressive era, which paints a picture of the public's perception of workers' struggles in the latter half of the 19th century. So um, I would say that uh, for anyone interested in uh, Red Meat Republic, Highly recommend the book. Uh, the first two parts uh, detail the unsavory history of beef becoming a more affordable consumer product f- for the masses. And it has everything from genocide and displacement of indigenous people to accelerating the extinction and replacement of native species, such as buffalo, uh, with more productive domesticated ones. So, you know. I'm, uh, um, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna make a little, you know producer-like comment here. The tone of voice that you've been using for this last sentence feels a little bit too happy. Like, there's just too much joy when you say genocide and displacement (laughs) of indigenous people. You you sound like a founding father, and it's it's disturbing to me. Oh, my God. Okay, well... Tone policing, I guess. Yes, I am. But when you sound like Thomas Jefferson, maybe maybe tone policing is something that should be done. I don't know. I don't know, man. I'm white. I. It's also true. Also true. There, there's an intrinsic uh, happiness when it comes to genocide <laughs> in white Jollity. people. Oh God, no, no. Okay, so yes, anywho, genocide. Anywho, you know, let bygones be bygones. Spoken like a true white person. <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, isn't this the history Just of... Just get over it. Yeah, come on. It happened like a long time ago. Why do you keep bringing this up? I mean, probably because it's still happening to this day, but... <laughs> I guess we're splitting buffalo hairs at this point. By the second half of the 19th century, the Midwest and the Great Plains had been made to fit pretty neatly into the puzzle of a capitalist economy, so to speak. And uh, I quote the author here, Poor Americans celebrated abundant beef as a symbol of economic progress. Immigrants wrote home, celebrating the United States' culinary bounty. The rise of the cattle beef complex, then, was about fulfilling aspirational eating. Oh boy, and do we know about that? As uh, uh, I think we've mentioned plenty of times before on, on this podcast that we're from a former communist country. 
Mm-hmm. So most of us were born right at, towards the end of the regime. And then we, I mean, the first few years after, or more than the first few years, to be perfectly honest, were pretty much the same, just with like runaway, you know, privatization and all that shit. But one mm-hmm. of the things that marked our country's uh, regime was the scarcity of products because our dear old grand leader was obsessed with paying off like foreign debts and shit like that. Mm-hmm. And long story short, mean was a luxury item. Like you couldn't find it and what you could find was really shitty quality and you'd have to stand in insane lines. So every cliche that Americans have about communist Russia, that's pretty much accurate for us in the past. And we see this like um, aspirational eating that you mentioned very Mm -hmm. much here too. like uh, consumption of meat has exploded and people tend to be like, well, that's always been part of traditional eating. No, the fuck it wasn't. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. I mean, Farmers were poor. Beef don't grow on fucking trees. Yeah, factory farming has changed everything when it comes to the it's it quickened processes up. But when we think of an agrarian society, an agrarian society is plant based because meat is expensive. If you raise it right, it's expensive. It's time consuming. So this isn't like meat with everything, meat everywhere. And this is not me trying to get people to like come to my way of eating i don't care about that Mm -hmm. i just i'm not gonna get into that but what is happening right now is uh, is a terrible overconsumption of what is to be perfectly honest really low quality meat because most of it is factory farmed and factory farmed meat does not have anything in common with pasture grown meat uh, it, it, it's so weird because like if you go to a restaurant and uh, sort of farmer or like peasant platter is just like sausages and <laughs> and, and that's, just, that's a christmas dinner yeah yeah that yeah that, that that was yeah peasants maybe feast like once or twice a year <laughs> so yeah i mean you'd have some okay yeah obviously you had wealthy farmers who had more of it but it wasn't like you had three days uh three three meals a day all with meat or you know animal products because again it's expensive and resource intensive so definitely this aspirational type of eating and this is gonna also play into our subject about amazon as well because the whole get it today no get it yesterday what you ordered today should have arrived already yesterday type of of uh, thinking and approach to retail is also very much aspirational it's just all of the influencers that you see online with the unboxings and all that shit yeah that's because amazon built the system of instant gratification you know what i uh sort of uh, uh, imagine will be like the next step in this whole oh make it ever so convenient Amazon saga automatic ass wipers no 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 I'm actually thinking that at one point they might uh, you know like you have the suggestion section or people who bought this or who like this also like the other thing mm-hmm. and I think they might just start sending you the uh, the, the, the sort of um, algorithmically generated suggestions and then you can send them back, but it's like an opt-out system. So <laughs> so they automatically charge you and send you the shit and you get your money back if you send it back. <laughs> no, I, I have only one answer to that and it's no. And if that happens, I'm going on a yeah, rampage. Well, I mean, if, if, if it happens, you know, I, I told you. I mean, it's... It's I, you really you're gonna I told you so me really <laughs> no, really no, no, not not in that sense but you know I will uh... but in what sense because this is one hundred percent I told you so okay I let no, me no, let no, me but schedule I just it want to 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 grow my you know prophetic credentials oh so you're trying to uh, trying to step into your mom's shoes be a cult leader okay so this is like a joke between us that I keep telling people that my mom has all the qualities and behavior and patterns, behavior patterns be of a cult leader but she likes one essential thing that you know probably has stopped her from actually becoming a cult leader is that uh, she is not the sort to actually profit and monetize her abilities like she's very persuasive she is a really great storyteller she's charismatic she really knows how to draw people in and everything you, you know everything that you need to have people have people listen to you and uh, yeah uh, but uh, she doesn't have that you know 
entrepreneurial strike. Okay, I'm 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 a I'm a drop a bomb on bomb on you now, but not all cult leaders are in it for the money, and there's been plenty of cult leaders who are in it just for the power or just that they realize that hey, this is shit that I can do. So I don't know, man. I don't think you're out of the woods. I think one of these days you're gonna wake up and your mom's gonna be the supreme cult leader and you're gonna be the messiah come again, and then there's gonna be I don't know. I feel like somehow there's gonna be crystals involved and pastries like maybe there's gonna be a, a holy cannoli that you have to worship or like i don't know a, a holy pretzel or or something or, or i i don't know okay let's get back to amazon because we've gotten sidetracked so many times already yeah this this was a huge tangent so I have another quote from uh, Lizzie Collingham's book about the situation uh, across the pond. Uh, uh, And she says that by the 1930s, the Sunday roast was becoming an institution among the Manchester working class and was a sign of just how much the lives of workers had improved since the hungry 1840s. However, though beef prices dropped throughout the 19th century, meaning customers were enjoying larger, higher quality quality stakes at lower prices, the process of buying food remained largely the same. You found reliable providers and beyond occasionally shopping around or haggling for better prices, you went with what you knew. Yet the familiarity of food buying concealed a radical change behind the scenes. In 1870, the average retail butchers purchased what they could from Chicago suppliers. Retail butchers had once been skilled tradesmen, but by the early 20th century, they were simply handlers or sellers uh, for the meat trusts. Uh, This started in the early 1880s when Chicago houses began building large refrigerated facilities in New York and other eastern cities. Now, you know, this process sounds uh, familiar. You take a once uh, highly skilled profession, uh, you break it up into individual tasks uh, distributed among untrained or barely trained workers that will uh, then be uh, deemed uh, highly replaceable and unskilled. And uh, indeed, Specht remarks that in the slaughterhouse, someone was always willing to take your place and that the division of labor enabled management to coerce productivity gains and worker efficiency. So um, now we get to the idea of the assembly line, which, uh, you know, we usually associate with automobile construction uh, of the Henry Ford type and uh, with high levels of uh, mechanization. But it was actually pioneered by Chicago packing plants uh, since the nature of the work required human adaptability to the Uh, sort of specificity of each piece of meat. Um, It was reliant on a great number of people who would sync up their uh, uh, separate tasks for maximum efficiency. The British uh, version of exploitation was a different flavor of awful. Was it like an English breakfast flavor of an awful? Yes, a a big fry up of awful. Also, I mean, I feel like it's very generous to be speaking of flavor when speaking of British. Ooh, yes. <laughs> you know, anything, really. Just, uh... Spotted dicks! You know. You know, the cake. Um, so, uh, yeah, the cakes. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> or syphilis, you know, whatever, which one you want. Yeah, so in the case of uh, the British model, uh, the key was uh, the import of cheap foreign food. Was? I mean... I, I said it in the beginning, this is the, pa- the past conversing with the present. Mm. It, they could just, you know, block each other and go their separate ways. I don't think that this is a relationship that needs to continue this way, but what do I know? Yeah, but, you know, as it happens with toxic relationships, you, you just can't let go. No, how about no? But back to the British and their lack of flavor. Collingham writes how places like New Zealand would provide the pastures needed to fatten up livestock, which would then be shipped back to England, bought by butchers and end up feeding the working class. So a combination of uh, transoceanic steam transportation, refrigeration technology and plenty of land with, you know, ecosystems you'd have no qualms in disrupting was the key to keeping 
lângă colonial ballets full. Some colonial ballets, because yeah, it course. was a very specific some as well. Yeah, but uh, also, uh, by the way, uh, Li- uh, Lizzie Collingham does mention the fact that uh, once they got uh, the whole uh, system really nailed down, like uh, they... Uh, could produce and transport safely uh, meat from places like New, New Zealand. Actually, the the richer folk would uh, pride themselves on, on eating British. Of like because Britain first. Because Britain first. And also because like British farmers could not compete on prices with, say, New Zealand farmers. Uh, so... Switching back to the present and uh, Amazon for a second. Do we have to? Mm-hmm. There are plenty of reports about how machines are used to set the pace for human workers. So let me just briefly quote from an article in the Times. Technology has enabled employers to enforce a work pace with no rooms for inefficiency, squeezing every ounce of downtime out of workers' days. After I completed a task, the scan gun not only immediately gave me a new one, but also started counting down the seconds I had left to do it. Let's compare and contrast it with how it was done back in the days. Since the nature of assembly line work meant that if one party goes faster, everyone else needs to pick up their pace to match them, employers would select workers, pay them higher wages, and secure their employment if they would intentionally drive their workmates harder through this method. Bootlickers, you mean. Yeah. Uh, And in turn, that drove a wedge between workers, uh, as these better paid workers would be called the butcher aristocracy. I just... See, when you say the butcher aristocracy, I immediately think of people just wearing meat, fancy meat dresses, like, you know, Gaga did, except Marie Antoinette style, you know, you just got ribbons of guts and, like, uh, shoes made out of bones. I don't know, maybe I've been listening to too much last podcast and the left again. (laughs) So uh, that's uh, not all, because management would also keep statistics on production line output and uh, overseers who slipped could lose their jobs. This allowed management to indirectly encourage foremen to use tactics that they did not want to explicitly support because, you know, we don't want to necessarily look like assholes, but we will do the asshole-ish things. According to one retired foreman, he was always trying to cut wages. Some of the foremen got a commission on all expenses they could save below a certain point. So, you know, what would a workplace be without scabs, bootlickers or useful idiots? Not a workplace. So, um, the book also highlights how little regard employers had for their workers' health or time. Um, I would say and time. Uh, well, yeah. Because yeah. they, they, they were definitely their attitude was definitely a porque no los dos. Like I, yeah, you don't care about your time, your health, your family, your nothing. You just kill more cows, my dude. Just kill more cows. Just going off on a tangent. Uh, I was reading about this thing. Like there was, I think it was called a sanitary report. Sometimes in the later half of the 19th century in Britain. And the guy who came up with it, of course, he was like some sort of aristocrat or something. The reason why he tried to encourage certain policies that would create better living conditions for workers and uh, improve their health was not, you know, because healthier workers are, you know... Healthier. (laughs) Yeah, a plus for society as a whole. He saw a majority of protesters or, you know, rioters among the working folk being young. And he was like, well, maybe if we would have more senior, you know, working citizens, uh, they, because, you know, as you grow older, you get maybe less willing to, you know, cause a a ruckus, or maybe they would calm them down, or, you know, they would, like, put a damper on the whole revolutionary 
thing. So basically, they were looking for boomers. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I just no, yeah. This, this just reminded me of the fact that what what's what's our retirement timeline looking like? What's the legal frame for retirement for us now? Like seventy? I don't know how much. I mean, it will change probably. I mean, yeah. By the time we get there, the I mean, we're not gonna get there because the planet's gonna be on fire completely. It's just gonna be California everywhere, I guess. But uh, I think by that point it's gonna be like 97 and you're like, but but I have no more original hips and all of my joints have been replaced by basil's joints or whatever. I don't know or fuck those. I just... Transhumanism, baby. I don't think that that's transhumanism. I think that's just, ugh, I don't even wanna... <sighs> yeah. <sighs> yeah, so... Um... Uh, on the topic of, you know, how employers disregarded uh, workers' health or time, they would uh, squeeze as much as, well, they would, they still do, <laughs> as much as they could out of workers while they were still young and in reasonably good health. With those broken by the heavy work, then confined to swelling the ranks of desperate job seekers that only drove wages down across the board. Which, you know, talking about retirement and about um, many people that we know who are retired but also work. Yeah. Yeah. And and Amazon's um, silver camper workers, mm. the all of the li- retirees that they hire, retirees who are living on, on the poverty line or below it. And the Walmart greeters. Exactly. And yeah, they, uh, just, they just so love to work, they just cannot stop. Yeah, I mean... I, nobody's saying don't give old people jobs obviously that's not what we're saying what we're saying here is that you need to give proper conditions and uh what you mentioned earlier the the quote from the new york times article that kind of shit about you having a scanner gun that counts down the seconds that doesn't care if you're 18 or 76 and i think a lot of people totally underestimate how many literally tens of thousands of senior citizens work in amazon warehouses like think of your grandfather and all all of their health issues that they have having to walk tens of kilometers of day uh, every day during their shifts and and the the notorious lack of breaks and all those things this is not not a, none of this is okay and none of this has been okay ever but we're supposed to be all you know up in arms about how jeffrey is so amazing i'm it's for everybody that doesn't know me i'm gonna refer to bezos as jeffrey because apparently he doesn't necessarily like it that much plus he's trying to push the whole i'm jeff because i'm cool no you're not man you're not you're you're what if the when the aliens come I, i feel like when the aliens will arrive and they're gonna try to pretend to be humans that's what jeffrey that's jeffrey like he looks like an alien being bad at pretending to be human and you know what i I'm not into making fun of people's, you know, things that they can't control, like the way they look and all that stuff, but it's Jeffrey. He can take it. I'm definitely punching up. He's cackling in all of his billions. Like, he bought himself an own space program, his own space program. So, like, suck it, Jeffrey. Suck it. Make you choke on your penis-shaped rocket. You know he kisses those things at night. You know he just walks out and just, like you know, starts touching the rockets and, like, speaking to it like Gollum, like, My precious! Don't put these images into my head. Well, you put Jeffrey's meat in my head, so... I... Okay. (laughs) So... (laughs) Um, Okay, so getting back to this, workers were so desperate, well, again, past tense, but, you know... Still are, still are. Even when they had jobs, they often had to wait without pay if there were no animals to slaughter. Workers would be fired if they did not show up at a specified time before 9 in the morning, but then they might wait unpaid until 10 or 11 for shipment. Amazon has proudly picked up this ancient legacy of douchebaggery by shaving off any minute not deemed on task from its workers' wages. And uh, I'll quote... uh, a former Amazon employee. At least I hope they're a former Amazon employee. At my warehouse, you were expected to be off task for only 18 minutes per shift. Like, at least round it up. Like, 18 minutes. Um, Mine was 6.30am to 6pm, which included using the bathroom, getting a drink of water, or just walking slower than the algorithm dictated. I have a theory also regarding this because I feel like 18 minutes per shift and it's like what an almost 12 hour shift 
my theory is is that this is exactly the time that Jeffrey spends at the bathroom over a 12 hour period like he he's clocked his shits all of his shits you know he's done the math and he knows you don't need more than 18 minutes to shit or pee once or eat once yeah yeah he probably doesn't even eat he just you know probably just gets some shit through an IV alien but doesn't that he, he is and, doesn't and then... he didn't he just boast about you know trying out lizards and snakes and what the fuck ever sort of endangered creatures so he's eating his own people i mean i guess so <laughs> oh come on let's face it we all know that all of these dudes like musk and bezos and all the other freaking gajillionaires i mean if he wants to eat like the last i don't know what kind of amazon dolphin that exists like amazon the river in this case uh, they they'll have it, you know. The by evening, you know, Jeffrey makes a call at three p.m. and at six p.m. he's got I don't know endangered dodo eggs. Fuck, I don't know. He brings back dodos from extinction just so he could eat them. Like I can see this happening. I can totally see this happening. Jurassic Park, but for dinner. Exactly. Okay, 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 okay. So now you open the can of worms. If Jurassic Park existed, let's not pretend like they wouldn't totally, like, sell a couple of baby velociraptors on the side, you know, like, or the, or the ones that are, don't look perfectly pretty. You know they sell those for meat on the side. There's, <laughs> ugh. There's a kitchen, okay? There's a dino kitchen in all of the Jurassic movies. They just didn't show it to us, but I, you can bet your sweet ass that if that was real, that would be totally yeah, a well. thing. Anyway, back to our subjects again. Another uh, move uh, Amazon could be said to have stolen from these disgusting predecessors is to essentially expand operations indefinitely, thus uh, increasing their control over the entire process of production and distribution. Combining the roles of producer, buyer, packager, distributor, and retailer with uh, within one firm allow these companies, calling them rights, to take advantage of economies of scale that they then translated into reasonable prices for their happy consumers. But they're not reasonable prices. This is my issue, okay? So, like, I like to save money. I don't have a lot of it. <laughs> Neither of us do. But they're not reasonable prices if that price that you pay at the store can only be achieved at the cost of thousands and tens of thousands and millions of workers' health, be that physical, mental, work-life balance, families, pensions. That is not a reasonable price. That is exploited. Your tiny woman brain does not understand the fact that consumers and workers are just like two groups neatly separated that never overlay or interact. There's no overlay. Yeah, I got bullshit on that. Yes, you fail to see the logic of the system. You know, like I said, your tiny woman brain just You're so comprehend. lucky you're not in the same room with me right now. <laughs> I would be like full claws out at you right now. <laughs> but no, 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 I get it. I get it. We want the cheapest price. We want to save money. Nobody, you know, wages aren't keeping up with inflation. All that just, you know, socialist noises all around. But it's not a fair price. That's that's, that's yeah. one of my, my, my biggest pet peeves when it comes to the economic systems that we live in, that it's a fair price is considered the lowest price, but it's not. That's why we are in, you know, freaking climate change. That's why we have tens of millions, hundreds of millions of workers totally overexploited because it's not a fair price. If you only get, again, and let me say this again, if the only way to get that price is at the cost of fucking up ecosystems, displacing peoples, be they, those people's indigenous people or just poor people. I mean, we know what the meat industry does to this day when it comes to uh, placing factories uh, and processing plants and all those, uh, everything related to it, basically, that is blue collar in mostly communities of color. Like this, no, no, that is not a fair price. A fair price is a price that does not come at the cost of other people's health and the health of the planet, which in fact is also the health of us. But again, I'm my apparently tiny woman braiding again. 
And I can already hear the whole, well, if you don't like your job, then go get another one crowd. And first of all, choke on a bag of dicks. And then we'll catch you in a couple more minutes for more choking on bags of dicks for all of you. Just get another job. Ugh, people. So, um, Red Meat Republic tells the story of one uh, Vincent Rutkowski, a young man who worked for up to 10 hours a day in a slaughterhouse, trimming tallow from cattle paunches. The work required strong workers who were low to the ground, making it ideal for boys like Rutkowski, don't we just love child labor, who had the beginnings of strength but not the size of a grown man. For the first two weeks of his employment, Vincent shared his job with two other boys. As they became more skilled, they were fired, and Vincent was expected to do the work of free people. And, um, you know, as is often the case when workers are stressed, uh, stressed out by the amount and pace of work they have to complete, Rutkowski injured himself. So did many others. Now, Rutkowski managed to sue his former employer, but as always, winning in a system that is as evidently rigged in favor of capital is very difficult. His lawyer argued that it was the duty of the defendant to employ a sufficient number of servants so that Rutkowski would be free from danger. Swift and company, however, responded that Rutkowski was to blame since he was aware of the risk but continued working. Just move jobs, peasant. Aren't we just all free economic agents and there's no pressure of, you know, dying or starving uh, if uh, we don't just have a job, even if it's a really shitty one. Yeah, I mean, it's like, okay, so one place will pay you in pigeon poop, which is something that you're very familiar with, Diana. And uh, the other place will, you know, pay you in chicken poop. And maybe if you're very lucky, you go to a place that pays you in peacock poop. But it's all poop. So you don't really have any options. Also, small tension. Do you think that in that area of the plant where you they needed the people that were low to the ground, they constantly had that song on from Step Up with the apple bottom jeans, boots with the fur, and then it's low, 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 low. Because that's how I imagine it. That's how I imagine it. Oh, you always, always make it sound cooler than it was. I know. Although the lower courts agreed with Rutkowski, the Supreme Court of Illinois argued on behalf of the company, stating that when the employee discovers that the machinery or appliances are unfit for use or dangerous or insufficient, it is his duty to quit the service of the employer. But if he remains, he does so at his own risk. First of all, rage. Rage everywhere. And second of all, color me victim blaming yeah i mean yes but and then third of all color me shocked that an illinois court sided with corporations and brought down like shitty judgments i mean it's illinois it's it's famous for being just like violently corrupt i think generally speaking when especially when it comes to cases such as this Whatever an Illinois court decides, you know that the opposite is probably the ethical and fair decision. We should never... Go to Illinois, yeah, I know. Never inconvenience the job creators, Eliza. Oh my god, oh my god. I And now I'm hearing Sarah Palin in my head again, and I haven't heard her in a really long time, and oh god, why did you do this to me? <laughs> it's all about job creation. Of course, um, the events that led to workers like Rutkowski and many others getting injured on the job were not a bug, but a feature of the success of the meatpacking industry at the time. I'm pretty sure there were plenty of bugs in the meatpacking industry, though, too. Like, it's, it's <laughs> bugs and rats everywhere. About that a bit later. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm so excited. Well... <laughs> Well, uh, technology and organization. Bleh. Organization? Like, what are you? You suddenly turned in your Texan side came out? Like, <laughs> we're gonna get the nuclear... Organization. Exactly. And there must be stuff. <laughs> and there is... Are gonna be stopped. While those things had seen vast improvements over the years, these places were still heavily reliant on cheap, often desperate immigrant labor. Companies were further helped by legislation that favored management, union busting, and limited liability for worker injury. On top of that, this line of work saw intense fluctuations throughout the year, as the costs of shipping meat in the summer were still high. Given the uneven work uh, available, as well as the relatively low skilled labor pool that this sort of work 
tapped into, intense competition between the desperately poor was strongly encouraged, much to the benefit benefit of these companies. Uh, the competitiveness also allowed employers to immediately blacklist any worker who might engage in unionizing efforts. Specht remarks that although 19th century consumers were sympathetic to the suffering of the animals being slaughtered, and had a morbid fascination with seeing the slaughterhouse through the eyes of the sacrifice, they were kind of oblivious to another group of victims. You know, the workers. Yeah, because the workers can just go get another job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this is my issue with like uh, really out there. Ethical consumption and consumer activism. Yes. And also my big issue with vegan extremists, because it's all about the animals uh, and not about people. And like, okay, we're also animals. So how about you at least afford the same consideration to people as you do to, I don't know, cows or whatever. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. But it, it instantly made me think of, of uh, these horrible online attacks and not just online attacks that happen from extremists. Again, emphasis on extremists, not vegans, extremist vegans who will, you know, uh, dox and just uh, bully and all that fun stuff. Uh, indigenous activists mm. who are, you know, uh, reclaiming uh, native cuisine and uh, are being pu or publicly talk about, let's say, the Inuk of uh, Canada and uh, the fact that they consume, you know, beluga meat and seal uh, fat and all of these things. And activists will be, uh, the vegan extremist activists will be like, oh no, you're all about me and it's murderous and you're a horrible person. Like, first of all, have you been? A lot of kill growing around those parts, right? Yeah, yeah. Have you been to Newfoundland? Like, do you know what that is? It's it's barely any land. It's ice. The how do you want to eat? Sea kill? That's not even a thing. It's just anyway. It, it it instantly made me think of this because uh, it's. I guess this is also the start of these kinds of movements of you know the Western type of uh, plant based diets. Let's call them, which you know covers everything that's about you know let's not eat animals let's not make them suffer which we all know very very well is very much anchored in whiteness and upper class yeah so uh, you mentioned uh, previously unhygienic conditions within uh, the meat packing uh, facilities the book uh, the red meat republic does mention uh, talks about the scare surrounding contaminated meat uh, which caught the public's attention in a big way at one point and uh, exerted some pressure on these companies. Uh, however, beef producers were, well, I mean, maybe eagerly embraced regulations is a big word, but is is too much. But um, they were more willing to uh, take these measures than, of course, do anything about worker conditions. Uh, because if meat was abundant and sanitary, consumers were happy and, you know, less engaged with issues such as labor exploitations, since uh, addressing this concern would likely increase prices. Also, for the Chicago meat packers, the less consumer thought about beef production, the better, you know, just generally. A small sidebar. Contaminated meat is definitely a term we could apply to Jeff Bezos. Yes, and a significant amount of my exes as well. I just needed to put that information <laughs> out there. Yeah, I wish I knew that meat was contaminated before I got into it, but alas, Ooh. you leave and you learn. Yeah, well. Again, today, to this date, this is an issue. So many workers that, that get, first of all, injured. Or, or subtle medical issues from their work in these kinds of plants, whether it's meat packing plants or Amazon warehouses or whatever. And then, of course, we cannot forget about the funnel into the opioid crisis because people still need to work, even if they're in pain, and then they need to, you know, be able to keep the pace up. So you go to the doctor, you get some shit for your pain, and then you're addicted. And now, yay, fun stuff. The sacklers can make a bunch of money from selling you their shitty opioids. Yeah, but what about the shareholders? I really want to know whether or not they're happy. Fuck the shareholders. Again, the shareholders can also go out and eat a bag of dicks. A contaminated bag of meats. Yes. Dicks, not meats. <laughs> I got confused between my types of meat. <laughs> okay. So, um, unfortunately, at this time, much of the public believed that unions threatened social stability. Uh, despite sporadic efforts, packing 
house workers could not organize effectively during the 19th century. This was in part the effect of assembly line de-skilling, but also a consequence of meatpackers' strike-breaking and the broader turn of the government and the public against organized labor in the wake of the violence in Chicago's Haymarket. Now, um, Painter's book dwells more on the context in which these initial worker struggles took place. Following the Great Railroad Strike of 1877, he says, and its violent suppression, farmers and workers became a lot more aware and vocal about the growing gap between the people whom they called the producing classes themselves uh, and the rich. What happened during a worker rally in Chicago's Haymarket was that uh, was uh, was really crucial in shaping how the public should feel about the working man and woman's plight. Uh, the initially peaceful gathering had formed in support of the eight-hour workday, but at one point during the day, an unidentified person threw a bomb at the police, injuring and killing uh, several of them, and uh, of course, quite a few civilians. All hell broke loose, and uh, uh, painters essentially caused this the inciting incident of the first red scare in the US and he says I'm gonna I'm gonna put on my uh, my conspiracist uh, hat on for a little bit well, let's be honest the the person who threw the bomb was most likely either some shitty teenager who wanted to be an edge lord or it was most likely somebody from the other side you know sent there to fuck this shit up because if this goes badly then things are gonna go great for you know the bosses in the long run and uh it did didn't it yeah i mean riot tactics like the like these are just like the abc happy cia noises is what you're saying Okay, so a painter uh, says 300 prominent citizens led by department store magnate Marshall Field, meatpacking millionaire Philip D. Armour and George M. Pullman, owner of a company that manufactured railroad sleeping cars, pledged $100,000, so you know, in 19th century money, to eradicate anarchy and sedition. The police raided more than 50 meeting places of anarchists, socialists, and other sorts of radicals, taking hundreds into detention, where many were badly beaten, and rumors of conspiracies and bombings circulated among a populace whose hysteria police encouraged. Again, super on point and familiar. Like this, to this day, this is what's happening. Yeah, naturally, like with all good things, fears about the working masses were compounded by fears of the dirty immigrants ready to spoil the purest of New England stock with their gross genes and whatnot. Um, and, uh, you know, there were layers to this disgusting racist cake. Uh, before 1886, the word immigrant carried the connotation of Irishman, with overtones of Catholicism and municipal corruption rather than labor radicalism. After the Haymarket incident, the stereotype of the foreign, especially Germanic, bearded, swarthing, bomb-throwing anarchists gain courage. I wonder if this bearded, sporty, bomb-throwing anarchist is on Tinder. Because I would head him up. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I I think it's amazing that at any point in time, Germans of all people are considered swarthy. But, you know, this is a testament to how incredibly racist people can get. It's like milk arguing with cream over who's the whitest, you know, so... To this day, this is what's happening. This has not changed. Just because we don't see this in MRE media surroundings doesn't mean it doesn't happen anymore and the only reason we don't see this in our immediate surroundings anymore is because it's been you know moved to other lower wage countries or it happens in areas that are far away from cities like uh, where you're gonna have people wanting to keep an eye out on this shit you take it to the most desperate Mm -hmm. communities and you exploit them and exactly what happened last year and continues to happen to this day with COVID COVID and the meat industry. But let's not forget what was I can't remember exactly when last year it was, but at one point we had the I mean not we but the US had some of the biggest outbreaks and outbreak hotspots in these meat packing plants and, and, and in towns where basically that's the only thing you can go uh, do. Just work in a meat packing plant. I mean even closer to home, uh, uh again in twenty twenty there was that news uh, uh report about 
several sort of Romanian seasonal workers going to Germany to pick asparagus. The their the their working conditions and the the spread of COVID COVID in their uh, I don't know work camps. How would you call them? Work camps. Work camps, because that's what they are. They are literally work camps. And it's not all fun and games and gathering around like a the bonfire in the evening with somebody's, you know, playing a guitar and singing Kumbaya. They're horrible. They're overcrowded. Uh, conditions are horrible in most places. And, and uh, yeah, Germans needed their asparagus. And to be perfectly honest, that's the same asparagus you can buy in our stores here too, because it's mm-hmm. all important. Shit. But yeah, the ethics of, of uh, bringing in employees from overseas in the middle of a goddamn pandemic and paying them shit and offering them shitty conditions. And, and then in the end, when you do get an outbreak, be it COVID, be it salmonella, be whatever kind of outbreak, you again blame it on the worker. That the workers didn't maintain proper hygiene and the workers didn't do this and the workers didn't do that. Homeboy, if you ain't gonna provide protective gear to your workers, like, and you pay them shitty wages, what are they gonna do? If they don't have paid medical leave, what are they gonna do? They're gonna come to work sick, they're gonna sneeze all over your precious meat, and then people get sick. Just, I mean, I, so how many, how many meat recalls did we have? How many recalls of any kind of products do we keep having that are directly tied to the fact that the workers that produce them are paid shit? Have horrible slum-like conditions that they have to live and work in and of course and then the products come out problematic but the only time that we care about this shit is when you know your uncle or auntie gets into the hospital with explosive diarrhea because the lettuce was problematic because again shitty conditions in factories no the factory needs to do better the factory owners need to do better how about they go on one less vacation per year to i don't know the freaking moon at this point because bezos and his space program I'm just pay your workers, you know, decent livable wages. But again, I'm probably just not understanding the bigger picture because of my tiny little, you know, woman brain. You know, why Why would they do all of this when they can just, especially when it comes to an immigrant workforce, when they can just, uh, you know, reinforce people's existing prejudices about how people living or in other countries are just dumber and dirtier and stupider than you are. And that's why they, you know, spread the disease because I th- this is something that I, I I mean I understand it at one point at, at, at a certain level but at the other end of the spectrum it's do you just like like being a shit person like really like you know when you do shitty things you feel shitty afterwards nah. so do you just enjoy feeling shitty do you just enjoy being shit in general I think they've stopped even trying to not act just like shit bags uh, the moment I read about all the these uh, millionaires, millionaires, billionaires who are into survivalist shit. They basically have the 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 plan for like the doomsday plan when the masses get the pitchforks and uh, come and they basically asked uh, specialists in these fields like, what do we do with security? that we hire so as to not have them turn against us like can we put electric shock collars on them or something oh my god yeah so that's the level of uh, i don't i have given up on humaning okay this isn't just like your usual oh, rich people are bad no no there's plenty of people who are rich who got there through mainly fair practices like i don't know artists authors you know CEOs. there are people who are rich and are decent but the way this is is rigged. I think that most people who do get into that position do so through some form of exploitation. Mm-hmm. People, yeah. I, you know, you know the usual arguments that you see online when people are discussing, you know, tax the rich and billionaires and all that shit. That well, yeah, but he invented shit and he got it. Up to a certain point, no human ever, so far, at least in my opinion, has created enough value in this world by themselves to justify being one of these gajillionaires. Yeah. You don't. You don't. The only reason Jeffrey gets to go to space on his dick rocket, as he himself, let's not forget, admitted in that shitty, lame, 
awkward interview after when he's with the in the spacesuit and the cowboy hat on. Oh, Are you kidding me? What's up with the cowboy hat? You're a space cowboy. Oh, suck a rock. No. But he was like, this is uh, the only way uh, he has to, you know, thank uh, Amazon customers and Amazon employees because without them, he couldn't have done this. Yeah. Yeah. You hit you. First of all, you didn't even freaking go to space. You just flew up really high. You're not a goddamn astronaut. You didn't go to space. You just went high on your dick rocket. That's it. Not an astronaut. It's, 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 I hate it. People ask, he's an astronaut. No, he's not. He is not. Second of all, yeah, you went to, on your dick rocket out on that really high flight at the cost of thousands of people's spines and backs. And I mean, spines and backs are the same thing, but at the cost of their spines, their joints, their diabetes, their dignity. Because I think most people don't just pee in a bottle at their workplace for sheer joy. Yeah, sure. There are people who like that. They're into it. It's their thing. But most people don't choose to do that unless we're talking about dire conditions. And the shit in bags and pee in bottles because you don't have time enough to go to the bathroom. That's not the thing that happens here and there. It's incredibly uncommon. It's uncommon to the point that customers have received it. Like when the Amazon delivery arrives, you will be made aware sooner or later of this. Like it's incredibly widespread. What was it in this piece of news that? I read a couple of weeks ago about how for years Amazon management, corporate management has been aware of, of how horrible these conditions mm-hmm. are that, that people can't even go to the bathroom yeah. to the point that they were sending out emails and memos and whatever to their employees then, oh, don't do it. Just hold it in. And if you do have to do it, be sure that you put your shit bag and pee bottle far enough in the back of your truck so that customers don't see it. And like homeboy that's not it customer's obsession well maybe you should be obsessed with other things like how to shut the fuck up uh i i, I say we wrap this up before we get uh, even sadder um, yeah I've, I've i woke up angry just thinking about the fact that i need to talk about jeffrey and this shitty ass practices he does oh yeah well you know to all the five listeners <laughs> which don't include Vlad <laughs> which don't include Vlad you know the drill if you enjoyed this podcast don't forget to follow us and share any episodes you like on whatever social media you might be active on and um, sorry for my stammering today I don't know what was up but like I, I, I kept trying to, to do takes but it just came out even worse so your meat was contaminated yeah probably i i i see what i can do in the edits uh <laughs> we'll fix it in post <laughs> i mean uh, yeah so it's part uh, of our charm yeah exactly uh, hopefully and uh, <laughs> i also wanted to say that we opened up two more accounts on which you can ignore the show exactly especially Vlad. Uh, especially Vlad. <laughs> You need to tag him. You so need to tag him when you post this. And tag him on his own channels too. Ah, yeah. So we have a YouTube channel, Totally Unrelated Podcast, where you can listen to the episode, but also enjoy or laugh at my experiments with shorts and outtakes. And uh, we're also on Instagram uh, at totally underscore unrelated underscore pod. And as always, if you have any suggestions, hate mail or encouragements, you can reach us via email or hit us up on Twitter. Or, you know, by carrier pigeon or... Well, uh, I guess, bye! Bye! Jeffrey Suckadick! <laughs>